we have a whole generation of workers that if we do not create some of this real connection and a positive work culture, they will walk and they will walk without another job in place and (laughs) you will not survive. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast brought to you by Ubiquity.coach. We believe the world needs more leaders worth following, so we're showcasing best practices and perspectives to help you become a more inspiring leader. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky, and it is great to have you back. Our subscribers are going to remember a show that we did a little over a month and a half ago. Back in mid-August, the Leadership Brothers got together to talk about engaging the different generations that are in the workplace today. Well, after that episode, we received over a dozen requests to expand on the topic of millennials. Well, you asked, we listened, and today's show is dedicated specifically to the millennials. And to help us zero in on this topic, we've enlisted one of the foremost authorities on this topic the millennial whisperer himself, Mr. Chris Tuff. Chris, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia? We are. It is hot here, and we somehow have escaped all the hurricanes thus far, so we hope it continues. I hope that you continue on that path as well. Before we build some momentum on this topic today, let's learn a little bit about you. Chris Tuff, Who or what inspires you? One of my big things that I tell all young people, I think life needs to be a ruthless pursuit of passions. And as I look back now on my career that started in 2003, I was born in 1980. A lot of people will ask me, Chris, are you a millennial? And it's like, no, I was born in 1980. I'm one year off, but deep down, I'm more of a millennial than most millennials, I'll tell them. What started that was, I think is so important, which I had 64 job interviews after graduating from Vanderbilt. Top of my class, I go out into the workplace and I get a call from my British father saying, Chris, I think it's time for you to come home to Atlanta and try your card. Right. It was my lucky 65th interview that I landed at a digital ad agency called Moxie. I was the 13th employee there. That's where I first fell into this zone of passion. I guess built the foundation of what my purpose would be. I bounced around a lot over a five-year period. I was an account executive. And then I was like, well, I think I'm more of a creative. So I was a creative copywriter for two years. And then towards the end of that five-year period, making lots of lateral moves within the organization, I fell into this digital, social, emerging media world. The owner of the company came to me and said, Chris, there's this new thing called a viral video. If you can get a viral video, we'll give you your own department. And it's a little bit media, it's a little bit creative, and it's all the things new media. I said, all right. So I, at the time, was about to propose to my wife. I had the ring in my pocket. It was burning a hole. I was going to fly them here. And I was like, oh, wait, two birds with one stone. I'll just film the whole thing. And then put it online and not only will our twins see it, but 
maybe it'll be one of these viral videos. I was running down the streets of Atlanta, pretended to sprain my ankle, and went from spraining my ankle to proposing to my wife. It was a three-minute kind of scale of emotion that the internet had never seen with my now wife. She started laughing at me, and then she went from laughing to crying. And I put it on ChristopherTuff.com. Fast forward four days, get a call from the server guy. This was before YouTube. And the server guy goes, uh, Mr. Tuff, you're getting 100,000 views every hour, and it's doubling on the hour. What do you want us to do? And I was like, let her rip. <laughs> and so uh, ended up getting millions and millions and millions of views. Also, Good Morning America flew down. We were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It got very out of control. But I always use that as the example of, you know, you're in this zone of passion, purpose, and profession all overlap. It's a beautiful and scary thing. And that was one of the first examples, one of the indicators being that I was finally in this zone of excellence. Obviously, our passions evolve in life, and it's up to us as leaders and within our organizations to allow people to pursue those things. And just like all of our passions evolve, mine did too. When I went from being the tip of the arrow at my ad agency, the digital kind of social guy, to being much more of a coach and empowering leader, just 18 months ago, I was on executive men's retreat. The average age was about 45. And I was introducing myself to these people I didn't really know. I was like, I don't really know what I do. I've kind of become the resident millennial whisperer. We have 370 employees at our firm, and I'm the only one that seems to kind of know what to do with them. It works. Sit down by the fire. One of the guys leading it, Tommy Breedlove, he kicks me. He goes, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? He goes, The Millennial Whisperer. And I started sharing some of the tactics that I use. About two weeks later, these guys started calling me. They're like, Chris, we're starting to implement that crazy stuff you were talking about. And it works. It spiraled out of control. Like most things in my life, I went all in. And 19 months later, we've sold about 50,000 books. You know, it was a bestseller. And now we're spreading the word with people like yourself. That's great. You definitely have hit the mark with something that a lot of people are truly interested in. It's really good to meet you, Chris, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. You're the Executive VP and Director of Content Marketing and Partnership, and I'll add this, the youngest partner ever at your firm, 22 Squared, an Atlanta-based advertising agency, and you've had that enviable success working with the millennials, as you've already mentioned. You've also had a lot of experience helping startup, connecting with Fortune 100 brands like Facebook. I think it's very interesting that you put so much focus on millennials. And I want to hear what brought you to become this sought-after expert on the millennials, particularly with your best-selling book, The Millennial Whisperer. This book isn't just filled with armchair theories about millennials. These are research-based, time-tested strategies for building the communications gap between the millennials and the rest of the workforce. And with the millennials making up an increasing proportion of our workforce, I think this is absolutely invaluable advice for any leader out there. So let's start with this confluence of interest, digital marketing millennials. How did all of this come about? How can we help everyone in our audience to better communicate and engage with the millennials in their lives? 
One of my favorite quotes since publishing the book came from a friend of mine, Evan Point, who's also very involved in corporate culture and other things that I like to talk about. He turned to me, he said, millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problem. <laughs> That's become my guiding light for all of this. I want to use a lot of these wants and needs of millennials to be the catalyst of change within our organizations. Yeah. The other thing I want to emphasize is that it is a give and take scenario where there are certain things that millennials and now Gen Z have a leg up. I think their need for connection, I think their requirement of transparency from leadership as well as the need for autonomy are all really great things that will make our workplaces better. On the flip side of that, I think there are certain things that we need to provide them as boomers and Xers, one of which being this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. They, they're, a lot of their lives and even our lives are built on social media. This idea of the grass always greener on the other side is something we need to help stamp out. And we'll talk about some of those tactics that we can introduce there. But I want to emphasize that it is a give and take kind of relationship of what I'm trying to trigger out there. But For sure. I've always been surrounded by people younger than myself. Falling into this world of social media, I worked directly with Mark Zuckerberg on the first product on Facebook in 2006 as he launched from dorm rooms to the general public. Wow. People, people will ask me, what was Zuck like back then? And I shared one dinner with him and he didn't talk. So I would say he's come a long way in his interpersonal skills. <laughs> right. But when you fall into that world, it always attracted the, the youngest and brightest. It was through that I kind of found my zone of excellence where I thought a little bit more like some of the startups out there, like the Facebooks and the Googles that had cultures that were thriving. I was also able to... I think, bridge the gap working in an organization almost 100 years old. And so I think I was able to apply some of these things that started to ring true when I would speak about it to others. And obviously, the book was inspired. And then I reached out to one of my top professors at Vanderbilt. I said, this is your world of expertise. Give me all of your research and help me break it down. Wow. And as I began breaking it down, the money slide that I present is two main slides. If you look at the wants and needs of millennials, what they're looking for from their organization is no different than any other past generation. Their number one thing is pay and benefits. That's no different than Xers. That's no different than boomers or the ones before them. Where it gets different is what they're looking for from their organization. Number two is a positive work culture. Culture for Xers, never really, that was more of a byproduct versus a here it's number two. And then you get into the importance of purpose and some other key differentiators. But where my book really focuses is what are they looking for from us as leaders? And the number one thing that millennials are looking for from leaders, according to the 2018 Deloitte Millennial Survey, is inspirational leadership. What's funny about inspirational leadership, you ask any leader, hey, Bob, you lead a team of 30 millennials. Would you consider yourself an inspirational leader? Bob's immediate response will be, heck yeah. They light up anytime I talk to them. 
And yeah, I'm really inspirational. And then you go to two people on Bob's team and you go, all right, listen, we need to know the number one thing that you guys are looking for is inspirational leadership. Would you say that Bob's an inspirational leader? Their immediate question is, is Bob going to find out if I tell you the truth? Right. (laughs) Bob's not going to find out. And then they say, heck no, he's not inspirational. We fall asleep anytime that he gets in front of us. It's always this discrepancies. It's important that if that's the biggest thing that they're looking for out of our leaders, then why aren't we doing more to provide tools to help people become more inspirational? And you can be inspirational without being a keynote speaker like myself or someone that's massively extroverted. Where I focus a lot of my tactics within the book is the things that we can do today that will have a massive impact on not only our culture, but also our retention numbers and ultimately our ROI. If you get into some of the other pieces, the top four things that they're looking for, the other things that come up a lot are transparency and autonomy, which I can talk a lot about, but I will let you kind of guide where you want to take the conversation. I love what you've talked about. They're looking for connection, autonomy, and transparency. I also like what you said about if we take a real close look at what it is that they're hoping to find in the workplace, there's really not a lot of difference when it comes to the top things. They want their pay and their benefits. They want a positive work culture, and they really want that sense of purpose. I think the thing that struck me the most is when you said that they want that inspirational leadership. I really believe that this makes a huge difference. Let's face it, you can't motivate somebody. Motivation comes from inside, but you can inspire them with a really compelling purpose, with perhaps some sort of a mission that's really going to change things and do something. So maybe that's where we can zero in on this inspirational leadership. What does that look like? What can people bring about in themselves and cultivate that's going to connect with the millennials? Great questions. I think it all starts with individual connection with our employees, regardless of generation. I think part of that being an inspirational leader is also compassion and empathy. And I go back down to, as a human, as a human, we break it all the way down. As humans, we all just want to be loved and accepted. And as frou-frou and soft as that might seem to the corporate go-getters, it is a truth. And so within that inspiration piece, some of the things that I suggest is in your one-on-ones with your people, instead of just talking about the business all the time, give them the option to talk about either work or life. And I use an example of my friend, Mike Kibison, who's a vice president at the Home Depot. He does this where he will ask his people, you can either talk about business in our one-on-one or you can talk about life. And 80% of the time they talk about life. Wow. And it's through that, that a real connection is made. And I think that we oftentimes think that just inspiration comes with putting these leaders that go and put a stake in the ground. It's allowing us to work together allow leaders to truly be empowering and be that coach. Well, and you do this for a living. I think the requirement of us as leaders, especially for a generation, they want to become better people. They want to have a significant purpose 
and they want to do better in the world. They want to make the world a better place. And so I think that is a big role reversal from what our corporations have been built up on. I think a lot of elements of what makes a leader inspirational, one of the things is allowing them to truly be that coach for our people. Some of the other elements that I talk about that are super important are rewards and recognition. I will say to any modern leader that has a team of anyone younger than 40 in the workplace, if you're not utterly exhausted at the end of the day for overly recognizing and rewarding your people, you haven't done it enough. Yeah. The reason for that is this is a generation that's a product of helicopter parents. The whole idea of participation trophies, those were a reality in these people's growing up. And social media, anytime that these people wanted instant gratification or recognition, they posted something to Instagram, got their 120 likes and went on their way. And if they didn't get 120 likes, they'd take it down because that's embarrassing because it's not enough. It's created this environment in which people can complain all they want about the next generations. They can call them needy. The cover of my book is all of those negative stereotypes. We can either complain about it or we can use tactics to help make a difference in these people's lives and the world around us. That's why my whole position is bringing more empathy and connection into the world. And that's why I wrote this book. You're getting up on stages and helping people connect and learn and adapt. And I love what you're doing. The inspirational leadership obviously is close to my heart. That's why we're called Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I love it. One of the things you and I talked about before we hit the record button on today's episode is you ask people how you doing and their response is, well, I'm so busy. And that just seems to be the universal response. And I think this presents one of the biggest challenges that I see out there. I have to agree with you 150%. That big challenge is that we're all responsible for our numbers, for delivering within our mandates, and we get so wrapped up in that that we forget about this need that you talk about. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. We can look at that in one of two different ways. We can look at that as one of these soft, foo-foo topics. We don't want to go there. No, we're going to be hard-nosed and stick to the business and push people and the rest of it. But the truth of the matter is, you are right on the money. I've heard this from so many people on this show before, hundreds of people that I've worked with in coaching, and that is the one thing that's common to everybody is that they want to matter. Yep. How do you get to the point of really helping people feel like they matter? It's that one-to-one, -one personal, unique connection. When you really can look in somebody's eyes, and listen to them fully, and really take in what they're all about, and then guide your leadership so that you are doing it with that in mind. Man, you are so on the money with this one, Chris. I'm with you 150% here. I hate to say this, but Canadians culturally are further along than, I mean, I'd love to say this, I guess, but I think Canadians are further along than Americans. We've got a long ways to go, and there is nothing more condescending than when asked, how are you doing? Oh, just been really busy. It's right. condescending. It's so vague. And you know what's funny is, for whatever reason, one of the most famous things that's coming out of this book is this idea of you got to turn your let's and answer it with a by when. I actually end my speeches with this. I feel like we live in a very unaccountable culture. 
where it's like, let's do this, let's do that. And then nothing happens. And so anytime that happens, I encourage everyone to say, okay, just answer it with a buy when and this in your personal life. Let's grab coffee. I mean, think about how many times you talk to someone, hey, how are you doing? Oh, super busy. Oh, well, we should catch up when you're not so busy. Let's grab coffee or let's grab a drink. And then nothing happened. It's all in that same conversation. So instead, I challenge everyone listening to go and say, by when? So let's grab coffee. By when? You'll find yourself, the person's going to be taken aback. And then they're either going to find out they didn't want to grab coffee with you or that drink or that dinner. And that's going to come across. Or you're going to find yourself at that coffee, dinner or drinks the next week. And you're going to say, wow, that actually happened. This is amazing. And we've created an environment where we're truly connecting one-to-one. I love it. If you think about how we're developing as humans, you think about where the role of technology is living, especially with these younger millennials and Gen Z, there's not enough of that person-to-person connection. And some of the tactics that I bring up in the book that I think are super important is I'll tell everyone, if we're in the same building you're texting, IMing, or emailing that person, you need to stop. You're going to get your butt out of your seat and you're going to walk over to that person's desk. You're going to have a person-to-person, face-to-face conversation because it's through that that you start to flex this interpersonal muscle that is so important. Think about even you and I, and I'm 1980, and our first flirtation, this connection muscle is something that has been so well-developed Our first flirtations, I had to call a house and then I had to get through mom and dad first (laughs) before I could get to who it was that I was trying to talk to, to then potentially set up some sort of face-to-face. These younger millennials and Gen Z, they're given an iPhone at age 13 with a Snapchat account on it. And they're doing their first flirtations on their back while they sit in their bed on their phone. Yeah. So it's another big emphasis for me. This is a give and take relationship of what it requires of us as leaders. And I think that's an important point because there's plenty that we can learn from this next generation, but there's also plenty they can learn from us. I hear the rebuttal on this one often. I don't have enough time for those kind of relationships. We've got stuff we need to get done. I'm responsible for numbers here. And I think the the paradoxical aspect of this is that the more you do build these relationships, the more you invest in that human-to-human connection, the more people are willing to jump through hoops of fire and leap over tall buildings for you. And the less you do of it, the more your people are just going to sort of do what they need to do and then get out of there. Exactly. For the first time ever, for the first time ever, We have a whole generation of workers that if we do not create some of this real connection and a positive work culture, they will walk and they will walk without another job in place and (laughs) you will not survive. So that is power. And now is the time to take action. Chris, you're helping all of us by sharing the things that you've discovered and learned along your journey. So thanks for that. This is indispensable and greatly appreciated. Before we run, I want to ask you two last questions. Here's the first one. What advice can you offer people that are leading others out there today? We make things so complicated. I go back to our core and what drives us as humans? Are we doing those things? Are we fulfilling those things that truly light us up? 
I also know that there is no perfect place. There's no perfect profession or environment for ourselves or for our people. And that's why I've introduced and will uh, pound into everyone's head this idea of what I call my 70-30 rule, which is 70% of your job should light you up. It should be in line with your purpose. We should all know our individual purpose statements. We should help our people identify theirs. And we should also have that purpose statement within our organization. And 70% of the work our people do should fulfill that. 30% of their job is going to suck. 30% for me, my 30% zone is anything in Excel. <laughs> right. And tactically, what I work with, both within ourselves and next generations, is I'll take someone's job description and we'll say, okay, let's identify together what's in your 70% and what's in your 30%. Because what that allows you to do is when they're in that 30% zone of suck, they end up knowing that on the other side of it is the 70%. And so my biggest piece is we've got to start introducing some of these things quickly. Some of those things we have to accommodate for, what I call this Pinterestation of a generation, this ruthless pursuit of perfection that's not attainable, that's not a reality. We've got to help our people with that. And we've also got to remind ourselves that that's not a reality. And then at the end of the day, we've got to create more of a connection with our people and a genuine connection. And we've got to blur those lines between personal life and professional life because our phones did that as soon as they were introduced. As leaders, we need to help our people with those pieces. I encourage everyone to create that connection, to follow your people on social media. And if that seems absurd, then maybe you need to work on your relationship. But when you come in on a Monday, you can create that connection by saying, Meg, that puppy you adopted is so cute. What's its name? That's little things that I suggest in the book that I think will make a massive difference in this deficit around empathy and connection. I love what you said about the 70-30 principle. 70% of your job, you're going to like. 30% is going to suck. I think about the 80-20 principle being Pareto's principle. Yeah. And I'm looking at the 70-30 and I'm thinking we're going to call that the tough principle. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I would like it to be 80-20, but I don't think that. I like that we're naming it after Chris Tough. Yes. The tough, <laughs> the tough principle. Okay. Here's my last question for you, Chris. What does inspired leadership mean to you? Creating an environment where people can thrive and pursue the things that drive them as well as someone that can challenge both your people as well as yourselves. To me, what creates an inspiring leader are a lot of these elements of what actually makes a successful millennial leader. That's those people that are inspiring, but are really walking the talk and can create a transparent culture where they can admit to their people when they screwed up and what they learned from it because people want to see you as human. Autonomy is a massive need if you look at the statistics for this generation, allowing your people to really thrive and not meddling about. And if you can't trust them to do that, maybe you're hiring the wrong people. Firing leadership is a lot of these things all wrapped up in a bow. Why I get so excited talking to you about a lot of the elements that I've put into tactics. I'm going to encourage everybody to pick up your book, the Millennial Whisperer, because it's packed full of this kind of great advice. 
and some really great research-based stats and insights. As employees, we want autonomy. We want to be challenged. We want the freedom to pursue things. We want to thrive. And it's the leader's job, as you've said, to create that environment and that culture. And I love what you've offered to us today. So there you have it, folks. This is brilliant advice from a brilliant guest right here on the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Chris Tuff, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here today and for sharing your wisdom with our community. Thank you so much. For those people that want to pick up the book, go to themillennialwhisperer.com forward slash inspiring leader. We have set up a free download of the first chapter as well as a millennial leadership assessment where you can take a self-assessment and see how you rank against these things that the next generations are looking for out of their leaders, as well as pick up a book on Amazon or your local book retailer. It's been a pleasure to be a part of this. So thank you so much. I'm going to have all those links in the show notes. Thank you everyone for tuning into this show and a special shout out to Doug McGregor for your comments that you left for us on iTunes, where you said, Terry's a great moderator and gets amazing guests on the show. Very inspiring. Thank you for those comments, Doug, and everyone who clicks on those stars, those ratings, and leaves us great comments. You're the reason that this show exists. Well, that's it for another episode of Inspiring Leaders brought to you by Ubiquity.coach. If you believe the world needs more leaders worth following, then don't forget to subscribe and join our community. Take care, everyone, and bye for now. 